our first guest tonight is Shelley Davido. Shelley was born in South Africa. There is, curiously enough, a kind of coincidental African link to this evening because both our authors were born in Africa. Uh, Shelley has spent the last couple of decades living and working in many different parts of the world. Although she says of herself, I wasn't exactly aspiring to be a globetrotter, in fact, I coveted stability, she spent a year in England, 10 years in the USA, two in Qatar, and at least five here in Australia. She presently lives on the Sunshine Coast. Shelley is the author of 40 books, including children's and young adults' fiction, non-fiction, and memoir. She's here tonight to talk about her book, Whisperings in the Blood, which she describes as a biographical memoir. It's a story that traces four generations of her family as they sought to find a home. Please welcome Shelley to Mulaney. Thank you. I think I'm right in saying that in this book, Whisperings in the Blood, it's four generations. Is that right? Um, as a way into talking about the book, could you explain that to me? Sure. Well, it's really five generations of people searching for home. And um, it starts off in the early 1900s in um, Lithuania. And it's just, it maps um, geographical migrations of my ancestors that, um, that I uncovered almost accidentally. Because um, I just, I started this book as a novel and I was going to base it on my grandmother's life. So I grew up in South Africa. I've been, you know, shunted from one country to another inadvertently, um, always destabilized by some geographical or medical emergency that, you know, I had to, I had to leave for whatever reason. Um, and so I grew up in Africa, and I, I'd heard the story from my grandmother, who was American, and she had this delicious, curly American accent. She would always say things like, comb your hair, darling. And I'd say, but Gran, I did comb my hair. This is how it is. It's always messy. And, but I love that accent. And then she told me that um, she had grown up in America and that when she was 10, her mother died and she'd been sent with her brother to the Jewish orphan home in Ohio where they had both spent you know, their childhoods. And then when she was 20 or so, she was, um, she, somebody saw a picture of her, of her in a wallet in South Africa and wrote her a letter and asked her to marry him. And so she came across to South Africa as a young girl and to marry a man she'd never met. And I actually have that letter right here. <laughs> but um, so the story, the story tracing the generations was going to be a novel. And so I started writing this novel. And I thought, I'll start with my great-grandfather Jacob, who was... Um, he was um, fleeing the pogroms in Lithuania, which were, you know, like a holocaust. And um, he jumped on any boat that he could get onto, and he ended up going to, um, going to America. That was where the boat was going. And in America, he met another Lithuanian, and, um, and he, had, he married her and had children. And so um, I didn't really know much about this grandfather until I said to my dad, um, you know, I'm writing this novel about your mom, is that okay? And do you have anything you want to share with me? And uh, he said, well, actually, I've got this box of letters. My mother kept every single letter that was ever written to her. Do you want it? I said, I'm a writer writing a story. Do I want the box of letters? And so the beginning of the story really was me getting that box of letters. 
and opening it out and reading them not in chronological order, but just seeing these incredible lives unfolding. And so I felt like I had all my ancestors around me in this room, and you know, I could tell that you know, one person was going to die because the letter you know, mourning that person's death was right next to the marriage proposal. And it was just, it was incredibly moving. And so I thought, okay, this is not going to be a novel, this is going to be a biography. But then, as I started to write my grandmother's story, I realized with absolute, you know, it was a stunning revelation that, um, that my life mirrored her life in uncanny ways. There was this whispering that I felt that went through generations, and the more I found out about her, the more I realized that, you know, how much are we just migratory creatures following, like birds, some inherent pattern? So, um, I mean, the one thing that was amazing was my, um, so my grandmother left the Midwest in America where she'd grown up to go via ship to England where she got on another ship and went to South Africa to marry a man 10 years her senior, and that was when she was 22. And when I was 22, without knowing this at all, I met a man 10 years my senior, married him, got on a plane to fly to England, and then on another plane to fly to the Midwest, and we ended up right across from the orphanage where she'd grown up. In, she was in Ohio, and I was in uh, Wisconsin. And that kind of thing was revealed to me, so I thought it's actually going to be a memoir. So now it's a biographical memoir. I know that's a bit of a, <laughs> a long introduction, but um, that's kind of the backstory to the story. I'll let you get a word in now, Steve. No, no. <laughs> There's so many things to, to kind of bring up just in what you've talked about. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about you being in Wisconsin was that you weren't, I mean, even though you lived there for 10 years, you weren't happy there. You felt like you couldn't breathe in Wisconsin. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting thing. So we arrived in the middle of the Midwestern summer, and um, I just suddenly had this asthma attack. I'd never had asthma before, and I could not breathe. And when I looked at the buildings around me, I just felt like, I just hate this place. I feel like I died here. I don't want to live here. I don't know what this is. And it was only when I started researching for this book that I found something really amazing. So the buildings um, that I was looking at in Wisconsin, and particularly the university where my husband was studying to do his PhD, um, I looked up the Jewish orphan home in Ohio and noticed that the facades of the two buildings were almost identical and that my great-grandmother Ethel had actually died of pneumonia. So I felt, again, this kind of whispering, this transgenerational memory, like, what is that? Is that a ghost in your DNA? Um, and, and yeah, I only found that out about two years ago, and I just, I realized I had to, I, I wanted to get out of that place. I didn't want to stay there. In, in Africa, um, this, I, I once spoke to um, my sister who had seen a Sangoma, a witch doctor, and the Sangoma said to her, you know, um, sometimes if you're struggling with something, it's because one of your ancestors has, has unfinished business and they've attached themselves to you and they won't let you go until you figure it out. And so, um, so I thought, oh, well, maybe I've got an attached ancestor and I <laughs> need to get rid of that. But it was a very amazing thing. And so the only thing I could really do in this book was explore that through metaphor and just... It's a biographical memoir, but it bops around in time and space so that the parallels 
you, you know, I've kind of written it like I experienced it. So you see the parallels emerging, my life, her life, even her father's life as an immigrant, Jacob. And yeah, eventually I did get out of America, and this is my fifth and final continent, just saying. <laughs> so it does read a lot, like a novel, yeah. in, in that there, is, there are lots of, yeah, there are quite long pieces of dialogue, which it kind of stretches the, the credibility that you actually kind of, that it was came out of letters. Yeah. So there is a sense that you have actually, you've kind of Im immersed yourselves in the characters and, and yeah. become that, become those events and those critical moments where yeah. dialogue was necessary. Is that correct? Or do, or do they yeah. come out of the letters? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And um, I think there are two things there. One is that, yes, there was immersion in the letters, and I took a lot of the letters and used them for dialogue. But also, there was a lot of, you know, fictitious dialogue to get from one event to the next. I don't know what happened. I don't know if that was in anything even like what, it, what they experienced. And so... I do want to acknowledge that in writing memoir, I came to this kind of almost like an ethical crisis where I thought, I'm trying to preserve something, but am I actually erasing it? Because those people are no longer here to, alive to tell their stories. Am I erasing their actual existing, once existing selves by creating, you know, a fictitious version of them? And so I just had to wrestle with that a little bit, and then I just thought, well, our memories anyway are so faulty. And if I'm trying to remember what so-and-so said, even on Tuesday, I'm gonna to have to paraphrase or kind of make it up unless we've got a recording. So I just had to make peace with that, that we are just story makers all the time. And um, unless you've got a recording of it, who's to know, you know? So, yeah, that's... Do, do, would you like to read just a short passage from the book or, or the letter, sure. which is up to you? I mean, yeah. do, do, do we would like to hear Either or, I'm sure, or both. I'll read the beginning because um, it, it sets the scene. And um, this is just, this starts in with Jacob, my um, grandmother's father. And I, just, I just need to interrupt and say, this is the book here. It has the most beautiful cover by UQP with the um, Empire State, State Building upside down and Australia the right way up on the bottom. So. <laughs> Except <coughs> the back. <laughs> Okay. The spring of 1913, and a young man from a remote village in Lithuania steals a ride on a train headed for the city. Everything around him has turned the color of ash as the cold seeps across the land, pressing any signs of life deep into the ground. Perhaps it is written in his blood, a special code which will emerge later in someone else, generations into the future in nightmares and fears, in someone's inability to breathe. In Vilnius, the frowning buildings as he arrives stop him from breathing. He has a sense of impending tragedy. Maybe his lack of breath has to do with the act of leaving. And yet, who would ache to leave this behind, this wasteland of grief and broken souls? Pogroms and nights of bloodshed and terror will live in him no matter how far he travels. Loss has encoded itself in the flow of his blood, in the beating of his heart, a ghost that will travel through time, through his DNA. The future is already written, but he cannot read it. He can only sense its weight, its texture, and he has to believe that anything is better than this. As his life flashes by outside a fast-moving train, his past dissolves. 
The village in the 1800s have disappeared forever. The house in the wig factory are gone. He hopes he will no longer feel he must apologize for the act of leaving. He hopes to shake the sense of being not a second or third class citizen, but a tenth class citizen, the lowest of the low. His shoulders will straighten, he will learn a new language. His jacket is threadbare and the cold creeps in, tightening around him. He holds a leather bag in which he keeps parts of his soul, the memories of people left behind. Across his back, he carries a gift from someone lost, the violin given to him by his father. All that is musical within him is held together in the case, wrapped with string so that it doesn't fall apart. Thank you. And so that was the first boat person in our family. And I just, I just want to say, you know, part of my, my impetus for writing this book was just understanding how, you know, all of us white fellas in Australia are only like a few breaths away from a boat person arriving here. You know, we're just... Yeah. So, um, so the whole idea of refugees and immigration and the displacing of original inhabitants, that's, that's, that runs through um, my story as well, my personal story. Um, so this is my grandfather's second letter to my grandmother. Um, he didn't know her. He had just seen a photograph of her. And he, he was quite a cheeky guy. So this is, this is what he says in the middle of the letter. You might think it funny, me asking you, as I have never seen you before. But honestly, as soon as I saw your snap, I told my sister that if you were anywhere in South Africa, I would soon get in touch with you and see what I could do for myself. <laughs> I'm getting older instead of younger, and my mother would like me to settle down. I haven't found a girl I could fall in love with although I have been offered a lot of money, but just couldn't see my way clear to do so. I know you might think it hard to leave your relatives, but if you do come, you will still be coming to an uncle who will be waiting for you with open arms, but not only your uncle would be waiting, but also I would be waiting. Please give this matter an honest thought. I know I am asking you to do a very big thing, but I can promise you that you will not regret it. Bertha, dear, I hope there is no one that can keep you back. Let me play on your sentiments and ask you to come over here and make me happy. It is a big undertaking, but you won't regret it. And then, <laughs> and then he says um, at the end, he writes all out of order. I don't know how he paginated this. But um, he says, if I had my way, I would come over and take you according to caveman ideas, but that wouldn't do. <laughs> So, I thought I was the only writer in the family, but no. Anyway, obviously his persuasive powers were quite significant because she, um, by, by, this, by the next letter she's accepted and um, she's on her way. And, and then what was really amazing is I was writing this story and I, didn't, I only had letters to her, so I couldn't see who she was. But then um, what happened was my uncle got wind of the fact that I was writing this book and he said, oh, you know, Shell, um, I've got her diaries from the boat. Do you want them? <laughs> Let me think about that for a minute. <laughs> and it 
can you scan them for me now? I need them now. And so I got her diaries, and that to me was a very moving experience because, you know, all her doubts, you know, she writes, you know, I hope Phil and I click, will it be okay? And then she meets these very, you know, dashing and handsome people on the ship, and she gets two marriage proposals, and I've got, <laughs> you know, and she's, no, I'm holding out for Phil, I gave him my word. She was very honest about that. But the story that plays itself out in Whisperings in the Blood um, also follows um, a love that never happened. So there was this other man in South Africa uh, who was engaged to her cousin, who met her on arrival. And, um, and although she had given her word to Phil, there was just this chemistry between them, and that lasted for a very long time, made my grandfather very unhappy, and um, it was like this undercurrent throughout their lives. So um, if not for this letter, I wouldn't be here today. Um, yeah. Shelley Davida, thank you very much indeed. That was just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs>